0: This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. Well, the highest court in the land will undoubtedly be reviewing the case. A big decision and a stunning one by Colorado's state Supreme Court kicking President Trump Off the presidential primary ballot in the state of Colorado. Uh, it is a stunning and very unusual and highly controversial decision. And now other states are trying to follow suit. So where is all of this headed? Well, joining us now here on the great podcast is Doug Burns, uh, one of the top legal experts out there and a former federal prosecutor. Uh, Doug, great to have you here on the podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me. appreciate it.
0: What was your reaction to what the Colorado State Supreme Court did?
1: Well, my reaction was Yogi Berra. Deja vu all over again. Here we go again with a case, and it'll be my pleasure to break it down. Uh, you know, stretching everything, pushing things to the outer boundaries, et cetera. So once upon a time in 1868, um, you know, after the Civil War, Congress in the 14th Amendment, uh, they said that nobody who uh, had been involved in an insurrection or rebellion uh, could be eligible for certain positions. They listed congressional positions. They didn't list the president. But in fairness, it did say uh, congresspeople or other officers. So that's somewhat debatable. But the point is, just so everybody knows, this was an 1868 post-Civil War thing. It's never been used before. Uh, Eugene V. Debs uh, ran for president while he was in prison, by the way. Everybody can hit Wikipedia. Um, so the point is, you know, when it's Trump, First, the editorial, then again, crunching the legal X's and O's. When it's Trump, it's controversial, it's unusual, it's the first time we've ever seen this, and just on and on and on and on. However, the case is deeply, deeply flawed, and here's why. First of all, this is actually quite interesting, because a lot of people haven't made this point, which almost escaped me as well. Everybody's saying seven Democratic-appointed justices uh, on the Colorado Supreme Court, well, wait a minute, three democratically appointed ones voted with Trump. (laughs) And that's actually quite interesting to me. So it was a 4-3 razor-thin decision. And the decision is just completely wrong, and here's why, okay? In the 14th Amendment, um, it talks about, you know, invalidating somebody for engaging in insurrectionist conduct. But most, most, most critically of all, in Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, it says, and I think it's pretty much verbatim because I wrote it down, Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. That, and I have to give credit, obviously, to Professor Dershowitz, um, who pretty much lined me up on this in in a presentation he did, um, and I want to give credit, Uh, particularly in light of what we're seeing at Harvard. That's another seminar where a woman, you know, plagiarized everybody, gave nobody any credit. So Professor Dershowitz explained that it is crystal clear on its face, the amendment, Section 5, that Congress shall have the power to enforce the terms of it, not state courts, not any court, by the way. (laughs) And these are just legal X's and O's having nothing to do with whether the person we're talking about is Charles Manson or Mother Teresa. Uh, or Donald Trump, okay? It's completely irrelevant to legal experts. The terms of the 14th Amendment dictate that Congress enforces this, not the courts.
0: That's a really powerful point. So in other words, the courts have no jurisdiction. Do you think if that's the case, then it will probably go to the Supreme Court, I'm sure at some point. Um, How do you think they'll rule?
1: Well, it's a great question, and, and here's why. Because this type of point provides them, the Supreme Court, the opportunity, of course, to adjudicate it, you know, without getting into the weeds of, you know, did uh, the person engage in insurrection like all the hot button? This is just a legal point, okay? which is, you know, and and Chief Justice Roberts, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. He's obviously pretty brilliant. He's going to turn around and say something along the lines of you know, without reaching the question of insurrection and what it means and how it's defined and without reaching the question of engaging in, which, by the way, is a quick point I want to make, which is what we lawyers call causation. Everybody in their, you know, Trump derangement syndrome, seriously, just glibly says he caused this. That's not clear. That's not clear at all. Okay, and the point is, in a courtroom, a judge would say to an advocate Well, wait a minute, Mr. Jones. Didn't the president say go peacefully and patriotically? That's not been in the Smith indictment. It's not in the Colorado opinion. It's just shocking. They just scrub and cleanse everything. But before I lose my train of thought, Chief Justice Roberts is going to say something like, we do not need to reach the question of insurrection at all. It's clear from Article 5 of the 14th Amendment that it is Congress who has this power. End of story.
0: That's interesting. So you think that they will just rule on whether it's in Congress's hands or uh or in this case trying to put it into a state court, they'll say, "Look, it's clear, it's Congress's hands" and then not even go into the insurrection sort of try to step away from the politics.
1: Yeah, well, let me give you an editorial there. <clears throat> the editorial there is Bush vigor is, you know, the 800-pound elephant lurking in the rafters. Um, you know, there was a lot of defensiveness the great Antonin Scalia himself was a little bit bothered by how political that was. You can hang a footnote on another term that you've heard experts use, which is, you know, political question doctrine. That basically in simple English says that courts are not supposed to adjudicate highly political questions. So the point is, um, I'm pretty confident in predicting um, that the current court is not going to reach, you know, the ultimate question. It's just too much of a political football. That's why I said political question doctrine. It's too much of a hot-button issue. And, you know, when the law is clear and it gives them the opportunity to do this, they have the obvious exit ramp. Now, before Professor Dershowitz lined me up on that point, um, you know, I had in my notes, you know, isn't it really up to Congress? I just had that generically. But I also had... Other points that I came up with quickly, which is from reading some of the briefs filed in the case. You know, there's an argument, by the way, Rita, that this claim can't be asserted um, under the current, um, you know, local uh, statute in Colorado. That is another way, by the way, of saying that it's up to Congress, but it's kind of baked in or built into it. The other question is Is the president an officer under the 14th Amendment's language? I don't think that's a particularly great argument. And I'll tell you why. It says, you know, senator or representative, but it also says, or other officers. Um, So the point is, president's covered by other officers, but the counter-argument, again, not to be a broken record, if we're in court, would you be going back and forth intelligently? The counter-argument would be, well, wait a minute. If it was going to be president, it probably would have been listed before, you know, congressional figures, right? Which is just common sense. So, I mean, you do have that argument. Who knows? Then there's a ripeness argument. I think you and everybody I find this very interesting, ripeness. The point is, and one court held this way, and that's why I'm citing it. If you're in a primary, okay, the argument runs. It's not ripe for adjudication, meaning even if the person prevails, they're not president. You can extend that argument even to, he can run for president, okay? If he wins then you move to invalidate him. I don't think practically that makes a lot of sense, but you get my point. The point is, it's not really ripe for adjudication to say that this person is ineligible um, because it's more, and I think Professor Dershowitz mentioned this, it's more under the nature of ineligible to hold office more than to run for office. So that's another sort of interesting point. So, I mean, the bottom line is for all these reasons, I think the Supreme Court will take the case and I do think that they are not going to affirm the decision. Uh, and lastly, just by way of repetition, I think they're going to do it without having to reach the you know, highly charged political type questions about insurrection.
0: How long do you think that process could take? And and I know I'm just having you read the tea leaves, but if you could, do you think it's going to be a 9-0 decision? You know what was interesting, uh, Doug Burns, uh, is Ty Cobb, who uh, used to represent yeah. the president, they had a bit of a falling out, so he's. I put that in the context of that. Uh-huh. He came out and said he thinks the Supreme Court will do a 9-0 decision in favor of the president, even though he's not a big fan of the president now. They had a falling out, as I mentioned. Uh-huh. But he still believes that when it comes before the high court, for a lot of the reasons, A, that you stated, (laughs) but others, too, that is just, you know, it's so overreaching. Do you think, how long will it take, and where do you see the decision coming out?
1: Yeah, well, let's use a classroom hypothetical to illustrate Ty Cobb's point, seriously. Let's assume that the question were, you have to be 35 years of age, okay, and the person is 36 and a court invalidates them, okay, You're following me You're on this wild hypothetical. So the point is, regardless of what your ideology is, what your politics are, regardless of whether you detest or hate or loathe the particular person involved, you have to grudgingly say, look, the guy was 36, there's nothing to talk about. So the professor's uh, point that he taught me about Congress is the one that shall have the power, that's almost like, somebody being 36. That's how potent it is. And that's why a Ty Cobb, who, as you said, clearly had a falling out, um, is turning around and saying he expects it to be 9-0. Now, to answer your question, which I'm not dodging, the million-dollar point here, in my view, is I think that they will stay uh, put on hold, stay the Colorado decision. That's the key, because that allows them, if I'm not mistaken, to go forward and put him on the ballot and everything's fine. And I think they may actually sit on this. It's hard to hard to say. They could sit on it for a while, um, you know, and, and the stay remains in effect and he's on the ballot and the primary goes forward, et cetera, et cetera. The problem there, and that's why your question is such a good one, is, well, wait a minute, that's not going to help very much with all these other states trying to jump into the fray. So the counter-argument, contradicting myself a drop, would be, no, 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 they want to really resolve this, So that we have a national uniform understanding of whether or not he can be invalidated on any ballot in any state. So I'm kind of reversing myself as I speak. I think by the spring, you know, early spring, they've got to decide this, honestly.
0: What do you make of the fact that all these other states are uh, seeming to look like they're going to jump on the bandwagon? And A couple of them already tried it. It got shot down in their states. But there's like at least a dozen out there where they're contemplating saying, God, Colorado's decision was a good one. We want to do the same thing in our state. Of course, uh, they're blue states, traditionally, most of these that they're talking about, where it's uh, clearly places that have gripes against the president. But is there any merit? Do you think by the time it gets to the Supreme Court, maybe there's multiple states? Or do you think it'll be Colorado sitting on its own? Or do you think they're going to say, God, I want a piece of that action, too?
1: Well, if I'm not mistaken, there were three cases. I think it was like Minnesota, Michigan, and Colorado. Um, And in the other two states, Michigan and Minnesota, uh, the people trying to invalidate President Trump lost. You know, you don't hear that (laughs) reported a lot of them chuckling. But, you know, so... No, I think, you know, it's nakedly political, obviously, you know, all liberal states. Would you ever, rhetorical question, see a staunchly conservative state try to do this? Of course not. And that gives away a lot about what's going on. In other words, is this really a legal claim on the one hand, or is this just sort of a political stunt and move on the other? It's much more of the latter, obviously. But again, the Supreme Court of the U.S. will have to step in and then, you know, Hypothetically, if they turn around and say, you know, Section 5 says that Congress has to do this, that wasn't done here, no court can do this, have a nice day, then that's the end of the matter, and no state court will try to do it.
0: You know, you brought up um, also uh, Harvard earlier, what I found really interesting, of those judges that were there on the Colorado State Supreme Court with this decision that came out, you know, it was a four to three, Uh, all Democrats, by the way, four of them went to Ivy League schools, and the other three did not. Uh, and, And they came down, the three who dissented, it was a scathing decision, which was interesting. So that should show, you know, you've got three Democrats there who said this is not right.
1: Well, you could just quote Anthony Scalia's dissent in the same-sex marriage case. Seriously, and you know most people, you know, don't read, never read it, don't want to read it, don't know, want to know the first thing about it. He was saying, if you want to have uh, something like that, that's fine. Okay, you're going to adjudicate it. In the state houses. You're not going to have nine, he said, unelected Ivy League lawyers decide it. Same exact thing applies here. It was funny because I was in a green room getting ready to do a TV segment the other day, and my co guest made that point about the Ivy League, and he said the three dissenters all went to the University of Denver's law school. <clears throat> that is kind of an ironic and interesting fact that you had at the tip of your fingertips, Rita. That was impressive. But, you know, the point is you know, look, it's wildly, wildly political, but I would repeat that those three dissenters were all appointed uh, by a Democrat. And that's sort of the first time you're seeing in a really highly charged political case. um, You know, it's usually voted along, you know, political party lines. So yeah, three Democrats sided with Trump. It was four, three razor thin. And I don't think it's going to hold up, honestly.
0: And I want to switch gears with you too, also Doug Burns. We just have a few minutes left, but I want to make sure we get to the other big thing that's uh, coming before the high court. Special Counsel Jack Smith came out and said that he wants to fast track. He kind of, you know, usurped, as you know, the uh, appeals court, jumped all those steps and went right to the Supreme Court Uh petitioning to them, saying, we really want you uh, to try to hurry up and decide whether or not President Trump has presidential immunity, because he's saying, listen, I was covered by presidential immunity. That's why I can't be charged with a lot of these things. Where do you see that case going?
1: Well, it's interesting because Jack Smith keeps saying that it is of vital, critical importance to the American public, you know, that this matter go forward quickly, but he never says why, and he can't say why, because the speedy trial, right, as I've told you and many others, belongs to the defendant, and he or she can insist on a quick trial, 70 days, believe it or not, under federal law, Uh, but in 99 percent of the cases. It's waived and extended as people are getting ready and schedules are busy and so on. So here, to a 35-plus year veteran, me, who's been in hundreds and hundreds of federal criminal cases, it's really embarrassing and laughable. Um, The guy's just giving himself away. He is hell-bent, one pundit described it, and I agree, hell-bent with racing this thing to trial as fast as he can. And the point is, the government never... Um, never takes the position of insisting on a speedy trial. Again, it's the defendant's right. And so it's embarrassing for us to watch this kind of conduct. He just clearly wants to affect the outcome of the election. It's as plain as the nose on its face. It's so obvious.
0: And also, uh, Doug Burns, to your point, uh, he is doing this. It is a day uh, before Super Tuesday. That's the huge contest in the presidential race. So, I mean, how could you say, okay, we're going to have somebody, he's the former president of the United States, Um, he's the leading candidate on the GOP side, he's clearly the challenger to the sitting president who is running again, uh, or at least it looks like he's running again so far, Um, but in the middle of all that, you're going to say, well, let's just pick a date and it happens to be the day before one of the biggest contests in the election season. Have you ever heard of something like that? I mean, it just seems extraordinary and pretty blatant to me.
1: In the day-to-day cases that I was in, you know, in all seriousness, yeah, bank robbery, drug dealing, you know, tax evasion, um, all different garden varieties, straightforward cases. We never saw any of these political antics. The government never asked for a speedy trial. Um, They weren't insisting on that because the public has no right to it, only the defendant. Um, So with the Trump cases, to repeat, everything's like earth-shattering, groundbreaking. We've never seen this unprecedented because, again, they're just hell-bent. He used that same term to try to disqualify him. Um, And, and, you know, people have thrown around the term, you know, weaponizing the criminal justice system. But it really is true. The point is the courts are supposed to just be very objective arbiters of the truth. You know, the case in New York City, highly, highly embarrassing situation uh, where a judge, you know, mocks a defense expert, major accounting professor who said no fraud took place and he just mocks it and derides it. And it's very, very, very troubling. And hopefully it will turn around and the courts will be restored to being independent arbiters because sort of to repeat the Ty Cobb point, courts are supposed to be like that, which is, okay, you know, people are all amped up politically, we get that. But here it says, you know, Congress shall have the power. So we'll bring it to the Jack Smith because that's what we're talking about. I realize everybody's all amped up, but the reality is it's not appropriate for a court to engineer a situation where a trial is going to take place in the middle of a national election and the defendant is the person running. You know, if people, cooler heads were prevailing, that's the type of thing you'd be seeing. Instead, we've deteriorated. That's the key word, deteriorated into a situation where courts are becoming partisan, and the Justice Department's becoming partisan. I mean, my late father, I've said it a million times, he was Deputy Attorney General, and when he left the Justice Department, he became uncharacteristically, visibly angry a couple times, right in my presence, and his face got red. He goes, Doug, they must depoliticize the Justice Department. That's 35 years ago. Today, just multiply that by 10, Rita.
0: Yeah. And that's what it feels like. I have never, and you've been obviously much closer to the law than I have in terms of me covering it, but I don't ever remember a time where there was so much politics woven into it or the appearance thereof. And I always think the object is to step away from it and separate it from so it doesn't have even the appearance of it. And yet, to me, not only does it have the appearance, they're trampling all over it and they don't seem to care. It's like 91 counts against Trump. And now this new thing with, you know, Colorado State Supreme Court, and then you got Jack Smith. It seems like they are in such a hurry to try to do whatever they can in this election year, as opposed to avoiding the appearance of it being in an election year. Uh, Your final
1: thoughts, Doug. There's no question, but that the criminal justice system is being weaponized and is more political than ever exactly the way you just laid it out perfectly. I've said it once. I'll say it again. Criminal law and politics do not mix, period. End of story, Rita. They don't mix.
0: Yeah, they don't mix. And and I think it's important that people have faith in the process and the integrity in the process and don't feel like it's woven in. Don't you think it is so important for the integrity of the judicial system to have a separation, a clear separation as mandated in the Constitution, Doug?
1: No, but that's a brilliant point because what we're seeing is the erosion of that. So the point is, you take man on the street, you know, pulse of the public type conversations, and people want to think that, okay, politics, they're going to be disagreeing. We get that all day long, but they can't use the courts and make it objectively look like it's such a serious and important case. And I think people, back to the man on the street concept quickly, people are telling me left and right all day that, you know, they really think this is improper and they can't believe it. And then, by the way, on, on, on social media the other night, Um, People were saying, I couldn't believe it. They're saying, I hate Trump. I can't stand him. I would never vote for him. So I'm groaning, you know, as I read, oh, here we go again. And then they go, but this is wrong, Rita. Seriously. I'm sure you saw postings like that. I was surprised.
0: Yeah, I was surprised, too. And I think um, that's a good thing. I wish we saw more of that. Very good. Very good thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. That was a very good thing. I was very, very happy to see it. And then the other thing, just... And on a comedic note, <laughs> which was that left side media, arena, they looked a little down in the the and I believe it or not.
0: Yeah, they did. They looked like they were in a morgue, like, oh, wait a minute, there's somebody That's on the Democratic side agreeing with us? Wait a minute. Right.
1: What was the thing? Ask not what you wish for. I don't have that exactly right. Um, but you get the point. And so the point is, they have all these hysterical maneuvers. But I think that the mainstream media is starting to think that this is backfiring on them. Seriously.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think they're seeing overkill and also you're seeing it in the polls because every time it happens, people seem to be more sympathetic to Trump because they're going, wait, another one? You know, it's it's backfiring. It's
1: like the boy who cried wolf. Everybody should go to the library, <clears throat> take out Aesop's fable and just read the famous fable, the boy who cried wolf. So they're like, we have them this time. This is it. We definitely have them. And, and it's just like the boy who cried wolf.
0: Yeah, that's a great analogy. Great one. Well, everybody, be sure to subscribe and share to this podcast. And Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor, great attorney. Uh, We're so appreciative of you joining us on such an important topic. So many of these that are hitting the highest court in the land and the integrity of the judicial system overall. Thank you,
1: Doug. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.